Who are the elite athletes? They are the men and women who have dedicated themselves to a level of achievement in a sport that most can only dream about. Whether they reach that pinnacle of success in high school, college, or in the pro game, the vast majority of these great athletes come to realize that their time at the top is only a few years. What does life have in store for them for the next 50, 60, or more years? What challenges and barriers do they face along the way? After the Glory is the show that features conversations with elite athletes as they talk about what led them to greatness and how their special skill set has prepared them for life beyond the playing field. Gary Stern and Lucy Sang are passionate admirers of elite athletes and are proud to bring you their stories. And now, the host of After the Glory, Lucy Sang and Gary Stern. And we welcome our audience to our show, After the Glory. I'm Gary Stern with my co-host and co-founder, Lucy Sang. And today we have a very, very special guest, perhaps United States' most impactful uh, woman in the area of softball. Sue Enquist is UCLA's uh, first All-American national champion and Hall of Famer in the sport of softball. In 2006, Ms. Enquist concluded her story 27-year career as a head coach of the UCLA Bruins with not a bad, uh, this sounds like a Coach Wooden type of record, 887 <laughs> 175, an 835 winning percentage, making her the winningest softball coach among all active coaches. And she's the only person in NCAA softball history to win a championship as a head coach and a player. She has more national championship titles than anyone in Division I softball history and has coached more collegiate softball Olympians, 15 of them, than anyone in NCAA softball history. During her career, um, as a coach to produce 65 All-Americans, 15 Olympians, inducted into six Hall of Fames, including UCLA, Women's Sports Foundation, USA Softball Hall of Fame, and the National Fast Pitch Coaches Association. Recipient of multiple National Coach of the Year honors and Pac-10 Coach of the Year honors. I could go on and on, but how about we let uh, Ms. Enquist uh, talk? <laughs> Sue, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I think the obvious question when we think about getting to an elite status as a uh, as an athlete, going back to your childhood and getting into softball, I'm wondering first how it happened, and <laughs> did people try to talk you out of it? Oh, this is not something for a young girl to do. Uh, you, you should be sewing and doing all this other stuff. You grew up at a time when it was not taken for granted that you would be encouraged in your athletic pursuits. Talk about that a little for us. Yeah, Gary, you're absolutely right. I did grow up in a time where it wasn't really celebrated or popular to be a female athlete. And what was wonderful is my family never looked at gender as an inhibitor in any way. I'm the daughter of a military father and a mother that's a nurse. And I had this wonderful combination of discipline and, and, and high standards and a mother that influenced me around you can do anything you put your heart on and uh, treat everybody uh, the way that you would want to be treated and uh, just give love you get love and uh, I was very fortunate I had a brother that was 
my brother's 11 months older than I am and he played little league. So that was my introduction to diamond sports and was very lucky to have influencers around me growing up that never paid attention to the discrimination. And my brother's little league coach, John Springman, brought me in and said, Susie, you're going to be the official shagger on game day. We're going to have you behind the backstop. You'll be responsible for getting all the foul balls. Well, I thought I died and went to heaven. And uh, that was the start. That was the start of it. And then take us through, how did you become serious in softball? Well, the we in my hometown, we didn't have it. So I uh, played baseball with my friends on the street. And then the first organized softball uh, that I was involved in was Mission Viejo, Bobby Sox. And uh, it was about 20 minutes away. And I just fell in love with this idea that you're playing on a team, but there's really, it's camouflage as an individual sport because it's you against the pitcher. And so fell in love with that. And then I grew up in the seventies going into high school. It was during my high school career that the title nine federal law uh, was enacted. And right in the middle of my high school career, I had an opportunity to try out for boys baseball. So I played boys baseball in high school and girls softball, but it was the baseball um, exposure that I got because back then there wasn't large video or internet, but the LA times picked up the story. UCLA coaches saw it and the rest is history. Well, Sue, for those who aren't familiar with both sports, tell us a little bit about the difference between baseball and softball. Yeah, so the, the we, we, our ball's a little bit bigger. Our ball's yellow uh, with red seams. Our, our, our mound is 43 feet away. Baseball is uh, just over 60 feet, six inches. Uh, their, their base paths are 90 feet. Ours are 60 and, um, you know, we're about 190, 220, 200 and 220 um, outfield fence. And um, so in general, the, the dimensions are, are compacted, which enables our sport to look extremely quick and very fast. Unlike basketball, soccer, we're not playing on a male dimension. So we really look powerful and quick when we're in those smaller dimensions. You are powerful and quick. And we are, our game is shorter too. Our game is seven innings. Baseball's nine. Let me just say, I play men's senior baseball. In fact, as we're recording this episode, uh, I'm flying to Florida for a week of, uh, of men's senior baseball. And at the age of 66, I've noticed something, Sue, that the distance between home and first of 90 feet seems to be getting much, much farther away and I keep asking who is moving the bases <laughs> and I don't have an answer yet um, seriously one of the things about softball of course um, you were really the first national star fair to say well I was a part of the team that put our program on the map my freshman year we wore the men's track team practice t-shirts were our game uniforms for softball so I was there uh right at the very beginning. And in four short years, we became a a non-ranked team that got to postseason and no one even scored a run off us. We had amazing pitchers on our staff. And then we never looked back. Sharon Backus built the structure for us to live a very simplified strategy of very high standards, uh, not a lot of, you know, very serious, uh, but it's still, we had a blast because, well, UCLA brings a student athlete to that campus that is really a special type of person. And so 
those are lifelong friends that I have to this day. When we come back, we'll talk to Sue about life at UCLA, both as an athlete and as a student as well. When we come back on After the Glory. This is Daryl Wayne here to talk to you about the co-creator and co-host of After the Glory, Woodland Hills lawyer Gary Stern. When Gary's not talking to elite athletes, you can usually find him doing what he's been doing for almost 45 years, navigating the world of government. As a college student and young professional, Gary helped folks deal with federal and state agencies through his work as a caseworker with a local congressman and state senator. That work prepared Gary for a career as a consumer lawyer. Today, Gary still helps people in all walks of life, but his passion nowadays is his service as a mediator, mostly in cases like the ones he's been handling for over four decades, where people have been injured in accidents or in connection with their employment. You can learn more about Stern Law, the law offices of Gary N. Stern at his website, www.sternlaw.org, that's S-T-E-R-N. Or you can call him at 818-710-2717, that's 818-710-2717. And we're back on After the Glory. This is Lucy Sang with Gary Stern and our very special guest, Sue Enquist. Sue! Tell us about the process in picking UCLA and why UCLA and what happened at UCLA. Well, that's an interesting story. A lot of people don't know this story, but I was actually planning on going to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Mm. I graduated from high school early in January and was slated to go there. They had um, an excellent campus, excellent academics, and my sister went there. And so I thought, oh, this is going to be an easy transition. And then when the LA Times article came out about a girl playing boys baseball, which I did, and I had an opportunity to go to campus. And my mom and dad used to tell the story. We grew up in a small town of San Clemente, only 15,000 people in the town at the time, you know. And we go up there, my mom and dad are like, oh, there's no way she's going to like it because UCLA is so large, right? And the minute I stepped on campus and started meeting the people and the other athletes, I just remember thinking, I took it all in, never really talked to my parents until I got in the car. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. I got in the backseat of the car and I told my mom and dad, I'm gonna go there. I'm going I'm gonna go to UCLA, that's where I belong. And I had such a full day, I, I got in the back of the car and I fell asleep. And my mom tells the story that she was just sick to her stomach, scared that her young daughter, I was 17 when I entered college, was going to be going to Los Angeles, you know? <laughs> so we got, we got there through, I, I literally got to UCLA through that LA Times article. Wow. And then uh, four years, you were one of the great players ever. You held the career batting title with a 401 average for two decades. Um, and yet, as we alluded to off air, you come to UCLA to play softball, to, to really play at, at an elite level in sport, but you know that your future is going to be not in a pro game. Um, how did you adjust or, or adapt your, your daily life as an athlete to your student life? Well, first of all, the, the one thing is when you grow up knowing there is no pro game, it's not even a conversation in college other than when you meet your teammates that are going to go play pro tennis or pro baseball or pro football, that's when it hits you because they're the same age as you and their path is going to be completely different. 
And so the minute we hit campus as female athletes in sports that don't have a pro option, your academics are extremely important. And, you know, I often tell the story that I had good grades in high school, but I didn't test well. And so when I got to UCLA, they were very concerned about my aptitude and said, listen, we're going to get you tutors. We're going to give you a regiment that you have to follow. From the moment I stepped foot on the campus, no one ever made me feel less than or incompetent. There were people from all walks of life, all different backgrounds. I was so enriched the minute I got there that first quarter. You know, I grew up in a little town in San Clemente. I mean, you, you can't get any more undiverse than that. <laughs> and it was just the most beautiful experience for me. And um, in the athletics department, there was such a strong commitment towards your academics. They were very flexible with your schedule. And this was back in the day where the schedules weren't very long. So you could play multiple sports. I know this, I also played on the rugby at UCLA and the surf team. So the softball played rugby and, and did surf competition in the season. It was, was, were you there when Judy Holland arrived or did she arrive after you were there? No, actually, actually, we got there almost at the same time. I got there a little for her and I was there before Judy Holland sat the entire department down and told us that we are fortunate to be on a campus where the chancellor, Charles, Charles Young, believes in the future of women. We are going to make a complete commitment around the accessories you need, the training you need, the coaching you need, the travel you need. And we as a department are going all in with all sports. I can remember that meeting like it was yesterday. Mm. My life went from the track team's practice t-shirts to a full set of uniforms. We no longer had to buy our lunch. We no longer had to drive to our games. We had a university, we were allowed to use the university vehicles. We just thought we were the queen. And uh, it was because of Judy Holland. If, if UCLA doesn't get out of the gate as fast as we did, and I always tell people that was one of the most critical strategic things that uh, Judy did working with uh, our chancellor is we're going all in because a lot of people don't realize during that time, it wasn't like the whole country said, let's all go NC2A. There was a real conflict Many of the strong women leaders of the time back in the 70s had late 70s had concerns that we were going to get lost in the men's shuffle. And Judy was clear as ever. She's like, nope, we're going all in. Well, we we got out of the gate first. She hired coaches. She did everything like literally in a two year period. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And, you know, Lucy, that that that's kind of why I asked the question. I was a student there from 73 to 77. And and as a student. Uh, it my memory is so clear that we were doing something remarkable in in women athletics and it affected men as well as women in terms of how we looked at athletes let's talk about the years after your playing days because the best was yet to come with sue enquist gary stern and lucy sang we'll be right back role models they can make all the difference in our world today, they have never been more important. One of the nation's most successful mentoring organizations is Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of Los Angeles. Their mission is to assist youth in achieving their full potential through innovative and impactful programs. 
and no nonprofit agency does it better. Jewish Big Brothers Big Sisters of LA serves Jewish children, boys and girls in our local community with a mentoring program that's been going strong since 1915. That's only the beginning. This nationally known agency owns and operates Camp Bob Waldorf. Its summer camping and weekend retreat programs enrich the lives of youth throughout greater Los Angeles. Then there's a college support program, and last but not least, work that helps kids all over the world through the Teen Talk app. Want to learn more? Go to jbbbsla.org. Donate. Get involved. There's no better way to make a difference. And we're back on After the Glory. Gary Stern here with Lucy Sang and uh, our very special guest, Sue Inquist. Uh, Sue, uh, great college career, but did you leave UCLA for even a moment or did you go right into the, the work that ended up making you a Hall of Fame coach? Never left for a minute. Hey, never had a job interview. Go Bruins. <laughs> so tell us how that all happened. I was actually, when I graduated, I was slated to go to <coughs> USC. To oh, get my- oh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Uh, To get my graduate degree in respiratory therapy, I was going to be a respiratory therapist. That's where my career was going to take me. That's where my passion was. And I finished college in March of my senior year. So I had 10 weeks before I was to walk. And my head coach at the time, Sharon Backa, said, you know, Sue, I'm looking for another assistant coach. Could you help us out for the one quarter before you graduate and start graduate school? I said, sure, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get into coaching, but I'll, I'll certainly help out the team. They're all my teammates. Two weeks in, I call my parents and I tell them I'm, I'm going to be a coach. I'm not going to be a respiratory therapist. And I was so excited. And all of a sudden, you know, I can hear my mom, you know, and she was so always so positive. She said, oh, that's so lovely. All oh, the girls are going to love having you as a coach. And then my dad, you know, the disciplinarian, the fiscal guy, super quiet, awkward silence says, how are you going to pay for the bills? And uh, I ended up working three jobs for 11 years uh, to be able to stay in coaching. I was a uh, athletic trainer, uh, strength trainer at the Sports Connection. And I also was a volleyball referee at the uh, intramural program on campus. Yes. Well, you know, you obviously, 27 years, uh, eventually became the head coach, of course, at UCLA. Um, had, as I, we said in the introduction, one of the great careers uh, anywhere in, in NCAA history. You also, as an administrator, developed the John Wooden Leadership Academy in the athletic department. Uh, you uh, uh, own two businesses, uh, Sue Enquist Coaching and ChampionFestival.com, uh, providing leadership curriculum for corporations and educational institutions. Um, It's been a remarkable life. What would you say um, was the highlight of those 27 years as a coach of the UCLA Bruins softball team? I think for me, uh, the highlight is having the opportunity to be in an environment with the most quality individuals. And I just always felt so privileged to be in that environment, whether I was on campus or in the athletics department or out on the ball field, that I, I just could always feel I was in rarefied air. 
not not necessarily about trophies, but just the people. My my roommates in college, you know, go on to become engineers and doctors. And, you know, I think that to me was the pinnacle was the people that are on that campus every day. And Sue, with all of your experience, all the ups and and downs in, in terms of being an athlete, what would you tell our athletes today in terms of what to focus on and what distractions to stay away from? Well, I, I mean, it's a good question, Lucy B, because the athlete today has never been afforded the opportunity to fall in love with the game on their own. Amen. They came into elementary school, started competition with club ball, and uh, I, I was just uh, with some athletes and they say, yeah, I died. I died around ninth grade. That's when I died. And they talk about dying inside. Their love died because it all became about the scholarship. And so what I would tell the athlete today, if you're in high school, do whatever you can to find the love, the passion that you have about whatever you do in that sport. And don't let anybody take your love that you have for the game away from you and don't let anybody in their attempt to try to make you be the best. Don't let anybody take away your self-belief in yourself. That's number one. Number two, if you do decide to do sport, be prepared. It kicks you in the stomach. (laughs) And remember, you know, what you do on the ball field is not who you are. Amen. You, You define yourself in your positive thoughts, your positive words, your positive actions, and having them on a line on a day-to-day basis. Don't worry if you go, oh, for April, you're still a good person. And then at last, I'd, I'd say to the parents, you know, give it your best shot to grab two beach chairs and go to right field and sit there and enjoy the game and let your child have two hours of recess. Yes. You know, before we go uh, to break and have one more segment to talk about the work you're doing today, um, take a moment and tell us about surfing. Oh. You, you, you are a surfer and you are a good surfer. How did that start and, and do you still do it? I do it every day. I, uh, I identify as a surfer. I am a surfer. I think people said, gosh, you, you walked away from softball so easily. I never identified as a softball coach. I identify as a surfer. If you ever took the ocean away from me, I think I would die a slow death. I grew up as a junior lifeguard. We went to the beach every day as a family. It was just the place where I completed myself and allowed me to keep balance in my life and humility. Because if you're a surfer, surfing is a sport where you are second. When you walk in, you go into that ocean, that the ocean controls you. And I love the challenge and the balance of that. It's invigorating and I love it and feel fortunate that at 64, I can still do it every day. I love it. And uh, so when we come back, Sue Enquist is still making a difference today on After the Glory with Gary Stern and Lucy Singh. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Lucy Sang from Resiliency Coaching. I am a certified mental performance coach focused on working with athletes transitioning into life after the glory days of sports. I help like-minded people become high performers and thrive in all areas of life. My goal is to serve as your accountability partner and offer different perspectives as you make tough decisions. Learn more about me on Instagram at resiliency underscore coaching 
R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-T-S-E-E underscore coaching. And thanks for tuning in to After the Glory. We're back on After the Glory. Uh, one final segment with our special guest, Sue Enquist. Uh, this is Gary Stern along with my co-host, Lucy Singh. Um, you know, today I have the sense that you're making as much of a difference in the lives of athletes as you ever have. Talk, us, talk to us a little about your work today. Well, as a consultant, I, I've been retired for over 15 years and have been a consultant predominantly with colleges, corporate, around team cohesion, individual mastery. I just finished a really, really amazing journey with our USA Volleyball team. Had an opportunity to be their consultant around team cohesion. This is a program that has some of the most incredible athletes. They had never won in the history of the sport. And uh, our fellow Bruin, great volleyball player himself, Karch Karai was the head coach. And I actually co-presented with some of the other players. They heard me speak, said, gosh, could you talk to our team? Sure. And then from there, it was like, hey, would you like to help us through this pandemic? And so I signed on to about a 15-month commitment to them, got to know them and develop a mindset around thinking as if you are already going to win and reverse engineer all the things we have to do. So we built out a plan uh, during the pandemic. They invested there all over the world when they're in the off season. And uh, we got on Zoom every month. Then I traveled with them to Tokyo. And I'm happy to report this team for the first time in the history of the sport took the gold. Hey, oh, incredible. Well, Sue, you said something that really stood out to me. And I think it you know, transcends all of our guests' conversations on After the Glory, especially when we talk about after the Glory Days of Sport, is that mindset. Tell us a little more about mindset and how important that is in terms of living a full and purposeful life after your Glory Days of being an athlete. Yeah, and I think it comes down to really taking inventory that you have put in an incredible amount of time and you have great skills, but you really have to be aware of how you got those skills and how to go ahead and traverse an industry and start to actually go into other industries with a skill set that you learn in sport. I always uh, agree with what uh, Papa Wooden said, you know, uh, you're not going you're, you're to really be in a position as an athlete and to be able to say, oh, I, I've done this, this, and this. I'm unless you're paying attention during that time to say, you know, I believe sport reveals your character. It reveals your character. And so it gives you an opportunity to get better in certain areas. And so for me, when I talk to athletes that are retired, the most important thing is what do you love to do? What, where are you curious? That's number one. And then what does that curiosity, what is the skill set that you need to have? And then number two, You've built this massive network. Who are the people that support you and believe in you? Tap into them. And that's a great way for you to make that transition into what we call that post-athletic um, environment, which is still a competitive environment. It's yeah. just a different, it's just manifests itself differently. Talk about team cohesion, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Before we, uh, before we wrap up, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, where are we today for women in sports? Where is Title IX? Where can we make improvements? Where, where can our listeners learn more and maybe do more? Uh, the Women's Sports Foundation is a wonderful website that can help women understand the power of sport, uh, understand the policies behind 
Title IX. What's on, we, we celebrate next year, 2022. We're going to celebrate our 50th anniversary of Title IX. The good news is we still have it. The bad news is we are so out of compliance in this country. We don't have enough law firms, Gary, that are doing Title IX work to hold these schools and the cities accountable around Title IX. So as a mom and dad out there, you see that your daughter's not getting um, the, the, the accurate and the, the equitable uh, accessories and opportunities, um, contact your media contact uh, the Women's Sports Foundation, contact anybody that is a, has a law firm that has Title IX specialists in it, because you'd be amazed at how much can get done the minute that letter goes to that school or that, um, that rec center saying that you've been identified as a um, school or a, uh, that has you know, been out of compliance. And you know, our, our, our listeners will, in our episode preceding um, their uh, introduction to you, will hear from Willie Banks, and we heard from Willie Banks that he continues to do incredible work on the field as a master athlete. What does that say about sport as something that need not be given up when the elite days are over? Right. And you just have to learn how to separate, right? Because as your body decides to go into its twilight, you have to be able to adjust mentally. <laughs> but I want to share with you a great, when you see Willie Banks, you remember I told you we wore the men's track team practice t-shirts? Uh-oh. Well, well, every t-shirt had the names of the guys and I had WB, I had Willie Banks. So <laughs> I got my t-shirt. I was like, hello, everybody. I've got Willie Banks because, you know, he was so famous back then uh, as a Bruin. So I, I have to give him some credit on that batting average because, man, when I put that t-shirt on, I was like, step up. You got Willie Transformed. Banks. Transformed. Yes. <laughs> oh. Well, Sue, we really, really want to take this opportunity to thank you for making time to join us and share your story with our listeners. Your incredible story, not just as a student athlete, not just as a coach, but even life after the glory days of being an active athlete. You're still moving and jiving and shaking it up. Thank you so much, Sue. We really appreciate you being here on After the Glory with Lucy Sang and Gary Stern. Hey, Lucy, thank you. Gary, thank you. Daryl, thank you. Lucy and I hope you enjoyed this edition of After the Glory. As we leave you until next time, we want to thank our team, our producer, Mark Allen, executive producer from Podclips, Mike Anderson, and our sound engineer and editor, the insane Daryl Wayne. We are also grateful for music by T. Dan Hofstede. And as we close out this episode of After the Glory, we honor our guest with our theme song, written and sung by my brother in baseball, T. Dan, the master of music from the islands and the slack key guitar. Until next time, stay safe, healthy, and athletic. Living the dream on a shooting star. Hometown crowd cheering what you are Living large and riding high Razzling and dazzling across the sky Back in the day, so young and strong Work or play, you can do no wrong But when that ride is through What you gonna do? your story, what you gonna do after the glory, step back and take in the door.